If you would like to support the podcast and get some extra content while you're there, head on over to patreon.com forward slash severe MMA podcast and sign up. From the rewatch to the Q&A, we will have loads of content every week. So sign up, patreon.com forward slash severe MMA podcast. And now, here's the podcast. Graham McDonald is an idiot. Sean Sheehan of severemma.com. He even has the audacity to call himself the quote-unquote pod god. This is Severe MMA. Severe MMA. Severe MMA. Severe MMA. Severe MMA. Severe MMA. The Severe MMA podcast is finally here. Welcome to the Severe MMA podcast. Here's your host, Sean Sheehan. Welcome, welcome everybody. It's episode 418 of the Severe MMA Podcast. My name is Sean Sheehan and today I'm delighted to be joined by Spencer Kite for another state of the UFC address. Everyone who knows is, uh, knows. It's <laughs> the easiest way of putting it. We are going to go through each UFC division, almost fighter by fighter, division by division, and break down the state of the UFC. No UFC this weekend, but it's going to be all UFC for this whole uh, episode. So sit back, relax, and enjoy. But before we do, we must tell you that this episode of the podcast is brought to you by our friends over at Manscaped. Friends, family, and loved ones. It's Father's Day is coming up. And have you got a gift for him yet? Ah, fear not. The leaders in Below the Waist Grooming are here. I'm talking about our friends at Manscaped. They're saving the day yet again. Saving the day. Should have said they're shaving the day. There you go. Uh, with a tall package for the father figure in your life this year. It's time to upgrade his game from waist to face with this exclusive offer. Get 20% off and free shipping with the code SEVEREMMA at manscaped.com and join the 8 million men worldwide who trust manscaped and uh, it was funny actually i um i was going through my manscaped stuff yesterday or my my, uh, my just my general uh care stuff this uh, today and i found a bottle of the the manscaped uh cologne i suppose you call it perfume i was like i absolutely love it and i love that because i'm always finding like little manscaped gifts <laughs> around the place and uh, they're absolutely fantastic and you know it's it's it, as i said i'm always finding little gifts but you could give a gift for your father the you know the, the the father figure in your life as well make him the mvp with the performance package 4.0 in that you'll find the lawnmower 4.0 which is a, a waterproof cordless body trim with a ton uh, of other liquid form uh, formulations to go around and use for your grooming routine the trimmer features ceramic blade designed to cut hair on loose skin and reduce grooming uh, accidents thanks to the advanced skin safe technology it's an absolute game changer for the sensitive areas but what about the nose hairs as well and we all know that the fathers have some of them well the weed whacker 2.0 is for that it trims the ear and nose hair it's a perfect gift for Father's Day, really. With this beautiful bundle also comes the Crop uh, Preserver Ball, the Odin Crop Reviver Toner, which everyone knows I love, as well as the Boxer Briefs and the Shed Travel Bag, which uh, I use all the time. We all know dads love their comfort. If this grooming routine is already dialed, make sure to hook in with the Manscaped Boxers 2.0. They are without doubt the best boxers for men of all ages. The Jewel Pouch is designed to comfortably care for the specific 
region whether he's mowing the lawn taking out the trash or golfing in the sun these moisture wicking boxes breed without breaking a sweat so our call to action is basically this get 20% off and free shipping with the code severe at manscaped.com 20% off free shipping at manscaped.com using the code severe make this father's day one he won't forget with manscaped and you know what while you're there, why not head over to our friends at Caldera Lab, use the promo code SEVERAMAY as well, and get 20% off their products. They're absolutely brilliant. 9 out of 10 men experience healthier, healthier and visibly improved skin with Caldera Lab in their leading clinical trial. Their skincare needs for the man in your life, they're absolutely brilliant. They create high-performance men's skincare products by combining pharmaceutical-grade science along with nature's purest and most potent ingredients. Um, and as you age, you you know, you know have those fine lines, you have those signs of aging. But if you use Caldera Lab, they'll absolutely help. The Regimen Bundle uh, leads their lineup a twice-a-day routine to transform your Skin. So first of all, you start off with the clean slate. It's where you start your day. It's a balancing cleanser that uses plant-based cleansing, um, leaving all skin types exceptionally refreshed. In the base layer is a nutrient-dense, fortifying moisturizer that hydrates your skin and absorbs fast, leaving you with a matte finish so you can start your day confidently. The good is your go-to at night before bed and a clinically proven multifunctional serum that helps your skin look tighter and smoother as well as helping uh, to reduce visibility of wrinkles and fine lines. In every drop of the serum, there's 3.4 million antioxidant units. Who counted them? Protecting your skin. What does that mean, you ask? I don't know, but it must be good. <laughs> I, do you know what? I love doing these reads when there's when there's no, you know, they, they realise there might be a little bit of bullshit. <laughs> <laughs> you know, but I, I, I appreciate that. It works, though, and that's all you want. The icon as well, that's really good for around your eyes. It, it, you know, it, uh, it helps address the three most common uh, skin concerns around the eye, fine lines, dark circles, and puffiness. I've used that a couple of times, and honestly, you know, as someone who doesn't get much sleep, it's fucking, it's unreal. Committed to transparency, sustainability, and excellence, Caldera Lab is on a mission to better mince, uh, mince, skincare around the world. Priding itself on clean ingredients and doing right by their customers and the planet we live in, Caldera is a certified B Corporation as well as a member of the 1%. For the planet, through uncompromising craftsmanship, exceptional ingredients and rigorous transparency, Caldera Lab is here to upgrade your skin and confidence. So get 20% off with our code SEVERAMMA at calderalab.com. That's 20% off at calderalab.com using the code SEVERAMMA. Take your skincare to the next level this summer with Caldera Lab. All right, Spencer, let's do it. Let's get back into it. Welcome back to Severe and May. Jeez, it's been a while since we uh, <laughs> since, <laughs> since we spoke. The, the, uh, the, the rumors a whole of, couple of weeks. <laughs> the rumors of the, the downfall have been greatly exaggerated. That's and, right. Uh, and we are back. Um, we were kind of talking a little bit there off air, and usually what we start with is the state of the UFC. And we talked about it many times before. But the UFC is in a very... Uh, different state now than it's ever been, and like I feel like, and you like you concentrate a lot on the UFC and see a lot of the reactions of as look I suppose as I do as as everyone listening to this probably does, but I think for me about six months ago maybe even a year ago I kind of realized what the UFC now is, and it's like no it's not what we used to love like two years ago the UFC wasn't what we used to love five years before that. Five years ago, it wasn't what we used to love. Five years before that, and it's changing. Now, I think a lot of people will probably agree. You, I think you probably agree. It's not changed for the better in terms of the totality of the package. 
but it has changed. We know why it's changed. It's making a lot of money for the UFC. It's uh, it's emerged now, obviously, with the WWE, and it's money, 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 money. It's a massively money-making organization. We saw the... Uh, results that came out this week that you know I, I think John Nash had it up and Luke Thomas did a great video on it about uh, how the UFC has made more money this year than every other combat sports uh, you know uh, promotion combined and look fair play to them but the reason they're making all that money is because they have all these big deals that they need to fulfill and there just aren't enough fighters on earth in the UFC anyway now maybe if they signed all the PFL and Bellator and one champion and everyone guys then maybe but what we have now is just not enough fighters to make every one of those cards an amazing card. Now, did we ever have a time when we had all amazing cards? Maybe when we had four a year, but not for a long time. We've been talking about oversaturation now for a decade. So am I a bit like, we can complain and we can give out about it. And I believe me, I probably have more than anyone else. But I reached a stage, I don't know, six months ago, a year ago, Spencer, where I kind of like, I need to move on from this. I'll enjoy what I enjoy. I'll talk about what I talk about. it, And... That'll be that for me. As someone who has to watch it all, who is watching from Prelim 1, and I know you en- you enjoy it more than most people, I think, but what do you, like, the state of the UFC, here we are on the podcast, what is, is your opinion on the state of the UFC right now? I mean, I think you nailed it. I mean, it's it's always funny to me when when the the point that comes up is is how things have changed and it's not the way it used to be. And it's like, of course it's not. We're two years hence or five years hence or 10 years. Like this is what happens everywhere with everything. It all changes. It all evolves. It all moves. And I think your, your position of reaching a point of saying, look, I'm covering PFL. I'm covering Bellator. I'm covering one. I've got to cover some UFC. I just can't take it all in. Let me just grab the bits and pieces work sort of a la carte of what I want is the right approach. Like the thing that just gets the thing that gets me, is that it's, well, I want it this way and the company should bend to to my desires. And it's like, that's just not what's going to happen. And so giving out about it every week, every day about how terrible it is, it's got to just feel like I, I, I personally couldn't do it. Now, yes, I am the opposite end of the spectrum. I am usually the ray of sunshine and the guy that finds positive and 10 things that I like about just about every fight card, but like, I just couldn't do it for my, like personally, I couldn't walk around constantly being upset about what's coming up on Saturday and that this is my job or my responsibility or a thing that I need to cover. It would just get tiresome to me to constantly be sitting and going, well, look how it was before and why can't it get back there? Making these sometimes disingenuous comparisons and these, you know, expecting, I get everything that came out in that Endeavor, you know, earnings report, as I said on Monday on, on the Keyboard Kimura podcast, like I want everybody, you and I have talked about this. We all want everybody to make more money, but I can also sit here in the reality of it and be like, I don't know many companies that are just like, great, we made more, let's give it all away. That's just not, it'd be lovely. It'd be great. The UFC could, could earn themselves a whole bunch of wins if they just decided to do that. Are they going to? Probably not. And they deserve massive criticism for that, I think. And I will firmly hand out that massive criticism all the time. 100%. All criticism is legit. But like expecting it to change. And you mentioned Luke talking about John Nash's John Nash's thing. And Luke has been sort of the person to me that I look to 
within the space of like the the sanest voice on all of this because i remember a few months ago luke sitting there and being like i can't care about it more than the fighters and that's the point i'm at i can't sit here and get blue in the face screaming and yelling if every week we have a fighter coming out and being like no i i don't have an issue with pay pay's great you guys should leave me stop bugging us we love what we're doing and and we hear it all the time now listen there are certainly some that come out there's a reason for that though and say i would like more I think there is with some people, but I also think that there are some that are, are genuinely happy. Like I, I had Brian Barberino on one of the early episodes of, of a conversation with, and I've known Bam for a bunch of years and and we've talked about fighter pay in the past. And he said, look, if I fight three, four times, like I want to fight three, four times and I win, you know, ideally if I fight three times and I win three times, I'm making really good money for a year for, also getting to live at home and, you know, be at home and be on the farm and do the things that I want to do. Now, could it always be more? Absolutely. Would everybody like more? Absolutely. Yeah, but that's, that's, I think that's a bit unfair, like, because the UFC should be paying more. It's not that just a could there, they should be. Like, there's no doubt about that. Like, I I know I understand the position. I know I came to that position a long time ago as well. It's like, the fighters don't want to fight for it or they say it's okay. Well, what are we supposed to do? But at the same time, we can't say it's, and you're not saying this, but I'm saying like as a media position, we can't not talk about it. We can't not say it's good. But I think the main point is here, it's the combination of both of those things, right? And the combination of, like, the, the cards and the, I suppose, level of... Um, the, le- the level difference between the top and the bottom of the UFC is a lot bigger now than, than it ever was. The level of ability is obviously a lot bigger, better than it ever was. But the amount of money hasn't improved and we're it's all it's actually gone down in the last while at the bottom level which is insane but i i feel like right what the ufc and we'll get into the divisions now in a second but what the ufc have always promised us is best in class right these are the best fighters in the world you're going to see the best fighters when you tune in on a saturday night maybe not every saturday night which is is absolutely fair enough they're no longer delivering that in totality right they are no longer doing it and they haven't given us a different differentiation between that if they had you know the ufc and it was the best fighters in the world and then they had the the ufc minor or whatever it might be and we could watch that two weekends a month and we could watch the proper ufc two weekends a month and people could get relegated and up and whatever it might be i think people understand it people would enjoy it people would understand what they've been given but the ufc are just throwing everything at us and expecting us to eat it all up and we have some people will love that and some people will say I want to follow this sport. I want to watch everything, but I want to tune into the UFC for the best. And they're no, no longer giving us all the best, but they are still giving us a lot of the best, just with it a bit diluted at the, the bottom. And they're paying people worse, and they're earning more money than they ever would. We have to watch lower level of quality while you earn more and more money, and while the fighters earn less and less money. How is that fucking fair? And I think, I think that's kind of a position. Anyway, let's get into it. <laughs> we could go. We could do a two-hour fucking podcast on this. Um. Let's talk about the lightweight division, Spencer, because it feels like, do you know, do you know what? When you're Islam right? there's two guys in, in the UFC right now. We'll talk about another one later on in Shemayev and Mikachev. It feels like we're, they're, they're kind of waiting for that Abu Dhabi card to come up. And it's like, 
it's a, it's a little bit annoying to me. Like it feels like McAtchev could have turned around, not turned around quicker, but necessarily. But he's new. He's the new champion. He's after coming off of that massive win over uh, over the featherweight champion Volkanovski. Obviously, the division is, you know. It has opened up, obviously, because he is the new champion. But let, let's say, uh, you know, Darius is still fighting Oliveira, isn't he? I don't know when, when is that. That was supposed to happen a few weeks ago, but it's happening Co- again. A couple of weeks out here in Vancouver. Oh, in Vancouver, indeed. Yeah. So, what? What's the? Is McCatchev just waiting for that, and he's going to fight the winner? Is that what's happening here? I think so. I think that's what they're they're shaping up, and and I agree with you. Like, he's somebody that I would have liked to have seen fight. So that fight against Volkanovski was in February in Perth. I mean, can that guy, is is there not a date in June? Like he could be out here in Vancouver in June. He could have fought even last month. Maybe maybe you say, or this month, I should say, maybe May's too quick of a turnaround from February overseas, big fight, five minutes, or sorry, five rounds. So sure, but like June, July, August all felt reasonable. But then once you start looking at, well, it's going to be June, it's going to be July. I understand the logic of, well, let's keep him until Abu Dhabi, but it doesn't help him. It doesn't help the division. It doesn't give you that increased momentum. It doesn't build off that momentum of what was for me so far, the best fight of the year and a really good win to then be on the sidelines for what ends up being eight months as we wait on whoever the next contender is with, you know, it's either a rematch against a guy that he, and and there's no guarantee that it's the next contender, right? If it is Oliveira, it's a rematch of a fight that he won rather handily. And if it's Dariush, great. I'm all for it. Benny Daggers, let's go. It's long overdue. But it just feels like we're, we're sitting around waiting on not the biggest fight possible. I would have done Dariush as quickly Absolutely. as I as I could have to just get moving on with the division so that maybe at the end of the year you get, you know, you end up doing the the Dustin and Justin rematch and the winner of that gets a shot. Or you find somebody else that's coming along that gets an opportunity. But now we've just sort of sat by without any real movement at the top of the division to just get to Islam versus one of these available options. It, it made no sense. Like if you were going to sit Islam out until then, why not just sit out his opponent too? Like why not just sit out Darius? Like fair enough, if uh, Oliveira beats him, you're doing the rematch. But like, did we forget that Makachev just destroyed Oliveira? And like Oliveira was a good champion, I've no problem with him working his way back to the to the uh, the top of the, the the division, but like, give him someone else to it, do that. It, it <laughs> goes to what you've always talked about, right? And what we've always discussed here, and especially with this division, work your way back. Don't just win one and be back. Get two or three. There's enough talent in this division that we don't need to just be hustling him back in. After one win, he gets. He gets to fight for the title again. And what's funny is, uh, Gaethje just fought Fiziev, didn't he? If that's uh, if I'm not mistaken. Yep. Now Gaethje's fighting Poirier coming up, which we'll talk about in a second. 
Michael Chandler is obviously going to be fighting McGregor at some stage as well. So you look at the top six, five, excluding the champion. All of them are booked. All of them are fighting, which is unbelievably unusual in that division. So it's not as if it's not as if like there's no movement in that division. There's a lot of movements. If you just took one of them out of it, gave him the title shot, then by the time that happens, you know, Poirier beats Gaethje, Bob's your uncle. You have the next guy ready. You know. Yeah, the timing of of everything feels off. So if you're going to say that the winner of Oliveira and Dariush is the next challenge for the title, they're fighting June 10th here in Vancouver. That means they're turning around, not super quick, but you got to be hoping that everybody comes out healthy. Everybody's ready to make a weight cut again in three months, four months in Abu Dhabi, where it's a big flight over. And there's a lot of stuff like it's a it's a process to be over there for the week or for two weeks or whatever it is that you want to go over and get acclimated and get settled and get ready for, if you're Benil Daryush, the biggest fight of your life. And no disrespect to Benny, he's struggled to stay healthy. Part of the reason it's taken this long is that he's had terrible luck with injuries. And so are we going to get to a point where October rolls around and there's supposed to be a pay-per-view in Abu Dhabi and there's going to be a pay-per-view in Abu Dhabi and we just don't have anybody that makes immediate sense because I don't think the winner of Poirier Gaethje is turning around after fighting in August in Salt Lake City and fighting in October in Abu Dhabi. And if I'm Dustin Poirier, I don't want to go back to Abu Dhabi and fight for the lightweight title anyways, because it didn't go well last time it was there. Same with Justin Gaethje. So like they both may have like, nah, we could do that. We could do that in December somewhere. That's fine. But it just feels like the the timing of the execution of things is a little bit off. Can I just ask you as well, and I, I was thinking about this today, right? So the, the Gaethje Paria fight is happening for this BMF title. We won't get into that. It's not that sort of podcast. But that's headline in the pay-per-view, I'm right, isn't it? So it I is. was thinking, right? So we talk about we talked about the oversaturation and everything like that. We're not oversaturated with pay-per-views though, right? So with 12 a year, which is, you know, maybe uh, it's easy for me to say I don't have to pay the fucking 70 quid for the people in America and yourself in, in Canada and Australia and other places, absolutely. But there's what? Uh, let me count them. 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13 divisions. There's 13 divisions. There's 12 pay-per-views. Yet they can't put a title on all of those pay-per-views. That to me is baffling, right? Even if you only put them out once a year, you should be able to do it with one to spare. You know, even if half of them fight twice, you should. I was going to say, in theory, you can do two titles every pay-per-view. And and generally, over the last bunch of years, it's been 13 pay-per-views, right? They tend to double up in in July because there's the early one and then Mm. there's the later one. You can get two if if you schedule. And now it... It requires health. It requires all the business being sorted out properly and everybody being aligned and people getting what they want and, and making these things work. But it just, yeah, it's, it's strange that it, this is now the second consecutive year. Last year, we had two pay-per-views that had non-title, no, no title fights, had non-title fights as the main event, right? We had it in March with Covington and Masvidal. We had it in September with originally Nathan Diaz and Hamzat Chemaev turned into Nathan Diaz and Tony, Tony Ferguson. Now we're getting another one in, in August in Salt Lake City. It, it just feels like there's, for whatever reason, we're getting a bunch of champions that either aren't getting booked or aren't looking to get booked 
and it's causing some challenges for the UFC, certainly. I, I feel like, and we've touched on this before, but, and we, we briefly touched on it before we started, the matchmakers have a tough job. You know, we can give out all we want, but I, I feel like there needs to be at least one more matchmaker, if not two. Because, if you, you, you know, the matchmakers are, people might not understand it, right? But they have to match the fights, but they have to contact the managers, the fighters, the whoever, see who's healthy, keep up, and if one lad's not healthy, they have to move on to the next lad, da-da-da-da-da-da, for 600 fighters, right? But they're also the people who are getting signed to the UFC, they have to keep an eye on them, they have to watch the Cage Warriors fights, they have to watch the LFA fights, they have to know who's who, if someone comes available from Bellator, they have to know, who they, they have to know all of this, they have to do all of this. For two people to be able to do that, is an insane workload, right? I, I do a similar sort of thing, right, in terms of watching the fighters and try to keep an eye on who's good, but I don't have to be ringing them up every day. I don't have to be talking <laughs> right. to them every day. Right. I don't have to you be, don't have to be fielding contracts. calls from managers that are like, my guy's ready to go. <laughs> exactly. He should be in the UFC and I've sent you a link to his YouTube. I do get a bit of that. all of his clips. Like. <laughs> There's usually a lad from Ireland who's like a seven and two fighter or something like that. But yeah, like, it's an insane workload. There's, I cannot fathom how two people could only do that. It should, there should be 10 people doing that. Like, I'm not even joking. And if, it, if it's, it's two, and I think you and I talked about it before in, in the context of like major professional sports here in North America and scouting departments, isn't one guy. It's a department. It's an entire resource that it's broken down just in North America into regions and areas. And then there's somebody that does Western Europe and Central Europe and Eastern Europe and Asia and like it's just spread out, spread out amongst so many people, and yet with the UFC, it's ostensibly Sean and Sean and Mick. And I don't know for sure whether they have, you know, seconds in command and thirds in command and and a whole department behind them, but they should. Yeah, a hundred percent. I suppose that's a problem we're going to continue to have over the next. As, as per always, I will volunteer as tribute. I, I fucking out. definitely want anyway. Get, Might I, have to send that email in of like, hey guys, I'll be if the, you ever want a hand. I'll be the Irish correspondent. I'll, be, yes. I'll make it easier. Sean um, will cover Europe. I will cover Western Canada and Western United States. We have a pretty easy job there. Between us, I think. Anyone else in the lot? Well, anyone else? The lightweight division, I suppose, on the way up. Um, it's it's a very hard division because there are so many fighters in it. Um, who is is there anyone sticking out to you at the moment? Anyone maybe who's made their debut or has had you know, maybe three or four fights in? Who's like, oh, this could be the next guy. So the guy that keeps sticking out for me that I'm really the most excited about seeing continue to progress is Grant Dawson, who I'm very glad has a fight coming up against Demirish Magulov. He's unbeaten in the UFC. He's looked really good since changing camps and going down to American top team. Still in his late 20s, like good grappler, kind of knows who he is, knows what his strengths are. He's somebody that for the last couple of years, I've been waiting to see some of these challenges, some of these bigger tests. I think is Magulov is a, is a terrific matchup for him. Obviously, still all the way in on Armin Saryukin. I want to like, I'm happy that he's fighting Joaquin Silva just so that he's fighting, but like this dude needs to be fighting better competition than that. And then further down the line, like in terms of, you know, early in their UFC careers, I'm interested in Ismail Bonfim. I'm interested in Matoyash Rombeski, who got a win over Nick Fiore and his debut didn't look great. I'm interested in Nurulo Aliyev and Nazim Sadikov 
and like Rajabov. Like there's a few different one fight in two fight in kind of guys that I'm interested in just seeing more from, but none of them really stand out to me yet as people that are going to be real impact players in this division. I yeah I would tend to agree. I I like Bonfim as well. I think Rabitzov is a guy I've watched a lot of over the last few years. Um, he was obviously in PFL, and I think he fought once in uh, even did he fight in the FC guy? Anyway, I watched a good bit of him. Like he is a guy who will beat probably fifty percent of the UFC roster of that division, and he'll never be like the top right. fifteen. You know, but he, a good right. guy to have in the division. And I feel like there's a good few of him at the moment. But as we always say. You know, let's hang around for another few years and then we'll see someone emerge and, you know, it'll be good. Right. Um, the featherweight division, this featherweight division is, <laughs> I love it and I hate it at the same time. Because when you do what you did to Arnold Allen and put him in there against Max Holloway, and we complain about it beforehand, right? And like, why just give him the fucking shot? I love the fight. Give him the shot. The fight <laughs> goes the way it goes. You know, both came out kind of as winners, but Max Holloway won. And... Aaron Lallan's not going to be getting the shot. And now you're doing, like, it's a great fight between Yair Rodriguez and uh, and uh, Alexander Volkanovsky, and I will never, you'll never hear a word of complaint to me uh, about that. I just I just feel like the division, it was, sh- it was such a short-sighted fight to make that, like, we all know Volkanovsky is going to be a massive favourite going into this. Now, never rule out Yair, we've seen it in the past before. Even if he is down, he can come back and fight. But, like... Let's say Volkanovski wins that fight, right? And let's say he doesn't go up to lightweight. Who is next? It doesn't, like, uh, okay, I, I know uh, Taboria is coming up against Emmett, but if you're looking as far as Taboria, he's number nine. And that's a good bit to be looking down in a division as strong as that. You think there should be two or three lads, like in the lightweight division as there is right now, who have a fight coming up where, like, okay, if he wins that, performs very well, he's maybe a definite. It feels like featherweight, that was kind of taken away from us uh, with, with the Aaron Lallan matchmaking. A hundred percent. It's why we were given out about it for six months, maybe even more. I mean, it's it's well over a year ago that Arnold Allen beat Dan Hooker in the first round in London, and he called out Calvin Cater, and a lot of us on the stream were like, what are you doing? Like, this is where you just say, okay, it's it's eight in a row, it's nine in a row, give me the damn title shot. He didn't do that. He got Calvin Cater. That went the way it did. Now, would have been hard to give him a title shot off of that fight with Calvin getting injured. But again, we even talked about it going into February. He should have been part of that interim title fight. Like they just, they just made such a mess of this by booking it all the way that it was like, and, and again, though, just, I understand just, uh, giving, just getting Josh Emmett in there. They, they made they it goes back to the exact point we were talking about before because they made that interim title because they need a title for a card. And uh, Aaron Lallan wasn't going to be fit for like, the month later so they're like right. oh yeah grand we'll move on and it made absolutely no sense right it's the tail wagging the dog isn't it it just it just feels like if we can hit pause for a minute and just and again it goes back to what we talked about with with the job being so complicated and so much that to try to flow chart all of this out and map it out on a big great big wall whiteboard whatever is super difficult, but it's the thing that has to be done because we have to be looking at everything from a multiple timeline kind of perspective of, well, if it goes this, because every fight contains two possibilities, well, more than two possibilities, but in theory, two possibilities. 
And we got to be able to figure out where we're going because now we end up here. Alexander Volkanovsky is going to fight Yair Rodriguez in July. In theory, you got to think that Volkanovsky is going to win that fight, not counting Yair, Yair out. But Volkanovsky has been dominant, and I wouldn't be surprised to see him continue to be dominant. And then, as you said, who's next after that? Because I sure as shit don't need to see him fight Max Holloway again. Like, not, not now and not, probably not ever for me, but certainly not now. Not, not off one win for Max over Arnold Allen, who absolutely is game. But you just told us, the, the UFC just told us that he wasn't ready to fight for a title. And so beating him is going to put a guy that's 0-3 back in the title picture. And if it's Ilya Tapuria, should he get through Josh Emmett? Great. I love it. I'm all for number six or number five getting a championship opportunity if that's the person that's makes the most sense and is next in line. But that's a hard sell to a lot of people. That's a difficult sell to a lot of people. And the UFC has told us and shown us that that's not the road they want to take. That's what they did with Demetrius Johnson. And it became about why can't DJ draw numbers? Well, cause he's smashing everybody and they're just putting whatever next warm body is in there. If they did it across every division, then I think people get on board with it and we start wanting to see these champions and we start appreciating the dominance and the level of dominance that a guy like Volkanovsky is exhibiting. But I have no idea what happens in this division in the back half of the year. Where did it go with, the division now in that middle area, I suppose. Like, it feels like every time someone has a good fight, like, they're they're calling the name of, say, Brian Ortega, right? Or they're calling, you know, a year before he won the title or whatever. It's It just feels like a lot of those matchups are a road to nowhere a lot of the time. Like, who called out? Someone called out Max Holloway there recently. Was it, was it Evolve that called him out? Someone called him out recently and was like, well, if you're a guy a little bit down the division, you say if you're a Danny Gay or someone like that, or like, let's say a Bryce Mitchell comes back with a fight, you might as well call out Max Holloway. But if you're a guy in that, like, six, seven, you know, four, five, six, seven, you're, like, you're calling out Max Holloway when you could be like, well, let's just wait. I might get a title shot because who else is there? Is that, <laughs> right. It's just, right. it's a mad situation they've put themselves in by that sort of matchmaking. And, like, you have to matchmake Max Holloway, absolutely. But matchmaking against someone who's coming off of a loss, maybe, to one of those other very good guys, and then he work his way back in, then, you know, I don't know. It just... Yeah, we we certainly just don't need to see Max Holloway fighting Mavsari Vloyev next. Yes, 100%. Like... And yet that feels like if I gave you the options of what's the next fight going to be from Avsari Vloyev and I gave you, let's say, three to one <laughs> that it's Max Holloway. I'm pretty sure that. you're taking that bet. <laughs> that's, that's my flair of the week. <laughs> I'm, pretty sure, I'm pretty sure you're taking that wager. Yes. <laughs> because that's what it feels like it's going to be, right? And you're 100% correct that there's sort of this and part of it is age and injuries, right? Calvin Cater is on the shelf. Chan Sung Jung is on the shelf. Yiga Chikadze has been on the shelf for a little bit now. That's three guys right in the middle of things that would normally be active and fighting some of these younger fighters. They would be the guys that the Tapurias and the Evloyevs and maybe the Bryce Mitchells or the Sadiq Yusufs of the world are looking at to get those opportunities to then get themselves further ahead where a Brian Ortega fight makes sense or a Max Holloway fight 
as much as we don't want to see them necessarily make sense from a ranking and moving forward position. But right now it's just gone stale again. It's, it's just hit that point yet again, where there's a bunch of good people coming up, but there's not a bunch of fights that make sense. And everybody in front of them doesn't want to fight them. And everybody, everybody behind them doesn't make sense. And we end up with, you know, Arnold Allen getting force fed to Max Holloway. It, it is exactly what you said at the, at the start of that. It's, it's like just the, the, if it was put together, if we had that wall chart, it just would have, it just would be better. And when we don't have it, a division like this, which, which is so many killers that are going to beat each other, it can't thrive. It really can't. Um, I suppose we'll move on. Some of the up-and-comers, like there are some good new guys in that division. I like the look of, of Josh Koulibau, who's obviously um, being trained by Alan Philbot over here for, uh, from Ireland. I like Pat Sabatini as well. He's foreign one. He hasn't fought in a while, though. And obviously, you know... He's fighting out here in a couple of weeks. Yeah, so that, that'll be good. I, I just I think he's a strong, good fighter. He's been around for a long time, too. He's 32 years of age now, you know, with 21 fights. So a guy like that, I think... I, I love looking at lads like that and thinking, like, who's going to be the one? Like, who's going to be the one to make a little bit of a run? And a guy like that could be... Jonathan Pierce. Tell us about Jonathan Pierce. I know, I, I think one time I was like, who's this Jonathan Pierce guy? And you gave a couple of words about him. But, uh, you know, a guy I like mean, that is another guy. He's well. just quietly put it together, right? Like, debuted, got thrown into the deep end, was fighting up a division... Here's Joe Lozon in Boston. Good luck. And it just went the way you would expect it for a kid making his debut off the Contender Series. Moved back down to featherweight, and he's unbeaten since. And it's been mostly really good. The fight with Christian Rodriguez was a little tougher than I would have expected. He got kind of tired in that fight. Christian Rodriguez had a good third round fighting up a division. Has since, of course, gone back down to, to bantamweight and done well. But, I mean, the win over Amar Khani was great. The win over Darren Elkins there were points in that fight where, and, and Jonathan Pierce talked about it afterwards, where he was like, I felt bad. That's how much he was dominating. He was supposed to fight Bryce Mitchell a couple of weeks ago in the fight that eventually ended up being Ivloya versus Diego Lopez. Hopefully he can get healthy because he's certainly somebody at 31 years of age that is right at that point where if he's making a run, let's get him one of these fights. Let's get him in there with a Giga Chikadze or a Chan Sung Jung, or a Calvin Cater at the end of the year when he gets healthy and see where he can go. Because he's he's at that point where it's kind of shit or get off the pot. Like, you got to move if you're moving. Because all of a sudden being 33, 34, and you haven't quite broken into the top 10 yet, starts getting a little bit dicey. Indeed. And I think at Bantamweight, someone who has done that over the last while is Aljamain Sterling. You know, he's 33 years of age now. I'm just looking here and you, you put me onto the the, the you, uh, Wikipedia roster page here before we started. And you can look by how many fights they've had in Endeavor, they call it now. At the Bantamweight division, and, you know, Cub Swanson's a new Bantamweight, obviously. Uh, he's had the most fights. Honey, yeah, yeah, second. And third is Aljamain Sterling, which is it's pretty crazy considering, like, he still seems like a young guy who kind of just won the title. He was on the way. I mean, he's been around for a good while, but to, for him to have more fights than, okay, Dominic Cruz has been injured a lot, but the likes of Rob Font, the likes of, you know, Pedro Munoz, the likes of, uh, you know, Ricky Simon and, and Cody Garbrandt and others like that is actually, it's it's pretty crazy. And as, it's funny because the point I was actually going to make to start off this was the bantamweight division 
had a lot of setbacks recently because it had the the Jadilisha farce of a fight. It had the, the DQ, obviously, but it also has had um, Sterling, who had a long injury at one stage, but still did come back relatively quickly from that fighting, defending his title, and now he's going to turn around straight away again and we can we'll talk about the drama around all of that if we want. We'll, we'll maybe leave that for somewhere else. But he is striking while the iron's hot here, and I think the division is good because of it. Because, look, he fought Sahud, obviously came back um, uh, to fight him, and maybe, you know maybe he deserved it, being a double champion and all of that. Now he's fighting O'Malley, who you know put himself in that position by beating Peter Yan, and he might deserve it. And we have the ghost of Mirab kind of, you know, standing in the background there and, uh, and, uh, and obviously Hanging around in Sean O'Malley's jacket. <laughs> in his jacket, indeed. And I just, this division is so fucking interesting because, like, there are so many integers to it. Because, like, you, you said there, right? A minute ago, a fight happens with two options. Fighter A wins, fighter B wins. Who's going to be their opponent? Well, this division, what happens if O'Malley wins? Right, and let's say O'Malley knocks him out in the first round heavily. It's you can't have a rematch straight away. Does Marab get the title shot in? What if Marab wins that? What does Sterling do then? Where does Sterling go? Because his plan was like, I'm going to win the title. I'm going to go up and be uh, you know a double champ. I leave my belt behind me. The lap plan's gone out the window. I just think this is fascinating to be honest, from both like a, a drama point of view, but also from a sporting point of view. It's just brilliant. It's. It's been the best division for a while and it keeps getting better, which is the scary part to me. Like every time we think, okay, so Piotr Jan loses the title and is in a little bit of a skid. Okay, well, Marab has come up and Sean O'Malley has benefited from that. As you said, Aljamain Sterling, like I've, I've never understood the criticism of Aljo. He's a guy that wants to, wants to get out there and wants to compete. Whatever you want to say about the win over the first fight with Piotr Jan, the acting, the whatever. That was just over two years ago. He's fought four times. That fight, just over two years ago, he's fought four times. So he's fighting twice a year. That includes having major neck surgery. That includes dealing with torn biceps and the neck still being an issue and some leg, leg issues. Like, he's staying out here. I, I don't understand why people are are down on this dude. He wants to get out there and defend his title. And for whatever the drama is about this fight in August against Sean O'Malley, I feel pretty confident saying that as long as Aljo's like 90%, he'll be there and he'll fight this dude. And it'll be a better fight than everybody expects. For someone like me, right, who doesn't pay attention <laughs> to what people say or doesn't like follow most of these fighters on Instagram or anything, I have like it's not that I've turned I've always liked Aljo but I've like I've liked Aljo more in the last while than yeah. ever before but I feel like the people and when the odd time I hear like something Aljo says I can kind of understand why people maybe don't like him a bit like you know he does like Den White the other day said like you know he gets in his own way and I don't want to agree with anything Den White says I love be it but he kind of does. By the way he thinks he says, by the way he fights, by the way he prepares, absolutely not. I think he's absolutely tremendous and he's elevated himself massively for me. But there is a bit of that. Like, I think a lot of fighters are like, I think Zahuda's a bit like that as well. Colby's a bit like that. Adesanya, I think, is a bit like, I think there's a lot of fighters kind of like that. And it's like, but it's it's hard not to be because there's lots of microphones being put in front of your face. There's lots of, you know. Yeah, there's, there's lots know. of mics being put in your face and mm -hmm. there's lots of, Lots of people talking at you and about you 
And so the, the desire and the push is, well, let me just come out here and defend myself and, and state my case. And so, yeah, sometimes that goes, sometimes that goes awry. Sometimes these guys say the wrong things, but I mean, you can't, you can't, I think for Aljo, for me looking at it, and I, I wrote about this before the fight with Cejudo, the thing that makes him feel a little bit doubted, I think for a lot of people is that there hasn't been that really definitive performance because even the fight with TJ Dillashaw, as you said, the farce of a fight with TJ Dillashaw where his shoulder can't stay in place. It takes away, it detracts from Aljo through no fault of his own. 100%. It's not his doing. He went out and handled his business, but we have to stick an asterisk next to it because TJ Dillashaw wasn't right. And 100%. so he hasn't had that moment where he's gone out and beaten the brakes off somebody where everybody has to sit back and go, okay, we're, we're done doubting, we're done guessing. And it doesn't help that every opponent that is getting ready to fight him going in there is like, yeah, no, I think I could beat him. And then at the end of it, they're like, no, he's, he's tougher than I thought. We got to accept going in that he's tougher than everybody thinks. I, wonder, I actually thought the Cejudo fight was kind of that. It was like uh, on the scorecards and stuff, it was a closer fight than it, it was in reality. I think, I think Sterling destroyed him for the most part throughout the fight. Maybe destroyed a bit, but I thought it was a brilliant I performance. Yeah, I, I thought it was really, really good. And I gave him massive credit after that. I think a lot of people yeah. should, but... I, look, this division looking at the uh, uh, prospects, it's very easy because we've won at two and all, we've won at three and all, and we've won at four and all. That that kind of really uh, that really stick out here uh, to me, and that's Cameron Simon, who you obviously you've spoken to before, Javer Basharat, uh, and Umar Magomedov as well. If you want three guys. It's hard. I'd be hard it's not pushed. bad. That's hard not a bad trio to, to hit your wagon to. To get three better guys. Cameron <laughs> Simon's twenty-two years old. Yeah. Umar's twenty-six. And Javid's a little bit older than each of them, but but three and zero already. Yeah, it's it's, uh, and there's always guys. There's always guys who emerge in that division. Let's talk about flyweight. Are are they doing a Mexican card? Are they doing a fight in Mexico? <laughs> What's going on here? I mean, I so Brendan Moreno obviously defending his title on the UFC two ninety pay per view in July against Alexandre Pantoja. It seems. I mean, Lupi Godinez last weekend gets her victory and is like, hey, Dana, September 19th. And Dana was like, I don't even know what she's talking about. I don't know. We don't have anything on September 19th. It would make sense to do one. Alexa Grasso, Valentina Shevchenko rematch, Mexico City. You want to showcase your new champion and give her that opportunity. It would make a lot of sense. But you would also kind of like to have Brandon Moreno on that card, I would think. And early July to to mid-September feels like a bit of a quick turnaround. Where are they going in that division? Because, and I, I hate the way, like, I, I'm actually, I've said this a couple of times now already, but, like, we know who's next in Pantoja. Who's next after that, though? Because, like, this, there's so many, again, with divisions that are so good, and I feel like maybe people don't understand how good this division is. There's lots of lads who, you know, are maybe struggling to get matchups or maybe haven't won all their matchups or whatever it might be. And we still have Kai Cara friends in there, Davidson Figueredo. Is he still hanging around in Flyweight? Who knows? Maybe, maybe not. Albazi is like, oh, and he's fighting, isn't he? Is it next he's week? Fighting, week after? Yeah, he's, he's fighting Kai next weekend. Yeah. So I think Brandon Royville is the clubhouse leader for next, right? Had that knockout of Mateus Nicolau a couple of weeks ago. 
sort of set as the, and really got a good bump as well, because a lot of people pushed Dana on that fight being on the prelims and Dana had to come out and be like, yeah, we, Mm -hmm. we absolutely fucked that up. That should have been on the main card. That dude's next. And, and Brandon Royville handled it perfectly too. Said, I want the title shot, but I'll be the backup fighter. So he will, in my opinion, most likely be in Las Vegas for 290, probably going to weigh in just in case. And he will be there. And if they don't set it up as he's got next, this is the next guy for whoever wins that title. That would be a mistake. Harry and I were talking earlier today, just kind of chatting about the, the Kai Kara France, Amir Albazi fight. Cause it's an interesting fight, but it's one that doesn't quite feel like it makes sense because it feels like it's a big step for Amir Albazi. Now I certainly understand reaching a point with him in the division of being like, we just got to find out and what better way than to put him in there with a guy that fought for the interim title last year his last loss in the last couple of runs is that loss to Brandon Moreno, who's now the undisputed champion. And so best case scenario, Amir Albazi goes out, beats Kai Kara France and suddenly looks like, okay, this guy's a legitimate contender, but it also sets you up and potentially puts you in that position where one of your young up and comers that has done well so far gets beaten by a guy that's already lost to the champ. And we're right back to now what? And there's not quite enough young new talent coming up that hasn't already fought each other to really, in my opinion, squander a guy like Amir Albazi at this point. It's just a kind of a reoccurring theme, really, isn't it? But I do feel like at Flyweight, you know, the three names I named there at Bantamweight earlier, it feels like those three names are in the rankings at Flyweight. You know, you have yeah. uh, maybe just Albazi and Makayev. Maybe there's someone else there you can point out, but. I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing because, like, I, I think flying lads to the moon sometimes is good. And obviously, you know, if Albazi wins at the weekend, uh, he very well could be flying to the moon. Makai is injured now at the moment, and he'll be coming back. And I don't, I don't think that's the worst thing that ever happened to him, to be honest. No, because I think he sure. ne- he needed that. But it's an interesting time coming up over the next while th- with them. I think they also need Manel Cape to yeah get healthy and and get being somebody that's active regularly. Um. Certainly exciting. Had a ton of hype when he came over from Ryzen. Hasn't quite, didn't work out initially. Lost to a couple ranked guys, Pantoja and, and Matthias Nicolau. It's been good lately, but he just hasn't been able to stay active. Fights just keep falling through for him. And so if he can get two in over the back half of this year, he can be a guy maybe if he wins both of those that is set up to be right there in the mix at the start of next year. So let's move and let's uh, let's go to the uh, the women's divisions. And I want to talk about 115 first because a couple of weeks ago we sat there and we watched Yan Zhaonan destroy Jessica Andrade. And I put up kind of a joke tweet saying, like, uh, it's uh, it's Nathan Diaz, you've, or, uh, uh, Zhang Weili, you've taken everything I've worked for, motherfucker, I want to fight your fucking ass. And it just felt like, and maybe I'm wrong here and you can correct me if I am, it just felt like, there is no other fight that makes sense. Only Yan Zhaonan now, after what she just did to Jessica Andrade, it makes total sense to put her into, against Zhang Weili. And like a week later, they announced Zhang Weili against Amanda Lemos. And I'm thinking like, what? what? How did this happen? It's like you, this fight was, and I'm not saying Amanda Lemos doesn't deserve it or whatever. You Maybe you can tell me better. You definitely can better than me. But I just felt like a, this perfect fight fell into your hands. And next thing it's not happening. Well, like, what was the story there? 
I mean, to me, it goes back to what we were talking about earlier of champions just not being as active as as the UFC and we as fans and an audience need them to be, right? Zhang Weili hasn't fought since last November in New York City when she won the title back against Carla Esparza. If they have that fight with Amanda Lemos, who understandably is in a position to challenge for the title because when you look at the rest of that division in terms of the rankings, right? Carla Sparza, number one, she's pregnant, certainly not fighting. Congratulations, Carla and, and your new husband. Rose Namajunas, we never know what the hell is going on with Rose. Zhang Weili was, a, or sorry, Ian Jonan was a little bit further down. And then it was um, Amanda Lemos. And so it would have made sense. It certainly would have made sense. But it needed to happen in March or April or May. And then you could have Yan Jaonan has that performance and it sets up for November. It sets up for October. It sets up for even December. Whereas now that fight's got to sit and cool until Zhang Weili is going to be ready to return, whether she wins, provided she wins, I should say, rather than whether she wins or loses. But like, it just uh, feels and, again like and we've, then they'll probably we've make Rose Namunas. They'll probably make Rose Namunas versus Yan Jaonan now. You know, and it's like, what? What's going on here? Like, you know, it's, it's uh, just it's madness. Yeah, and I, I like. Uh, look, we can blame the matchmakers for this, but we, I'm going to go back to it again. They have a tankless, unwinnable job. A hundred percent. There, there should be like a roster. Fucking, I, I don't know. Do, do you know, like, um, AW took on someone there recently that is like, uh, oh, what's it called? Like, the, 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 the shouts to Will Robinson. Uh, yeah, that, that was that. He key, like, he keeps the storyline <laughs> yeah, yeah. in line, whatever that's called. That's what we need with the fucking UFC roster. That's what we need. Just like keep everything in, I don't know. It just, <laughs> to me, I, but I don't know. For me, women's strawweight has always been a very tough division to keep ahead of because it feels like that, like, Yan Jonan, Amanda Lemus, uh, Marina Rodriguez, Amanda Hebas type of fighter is always there thereabouts. You're never sure who is the one that's kind of, and if they're maybe not, you know, maybe not the most outlandish of characters that are going right. to stand out to you as well. And you're always thinking, oh, could Rose get it? Like, or whatever. And then, you know, Asparza obviously got it, put on the one of the worst fights of all time. It's just, <laughs> I was just going to say, it all goes back to Rose and Carla too being a terrible fight and then having to having to do something more exciting with Carla as the champion because that was the point where Marina Rodriguez should have gotten her shot and we've now had all of these different fights that have ended up with Amanda Lemos is the number one Yan Jaonan is the number two we don't know what's going on with Rose we've got Mackenzie Dern coming back into the mix Marina's fallen backwards a little bit more like I just I'm sitting here waiting for for Tatiana Suarez, and I'm just yeah. sitting, I'm just sitting here waiting for Tatiana Suarez. She's fighting Jen Jiroba, isn't she? That is she that, is. Is that official? Yes. That is it. That's actually a great fight. I think Jen really Jiroba is might be the most underrated person in that division. She's like really good. Like she's been dominant recently. Yeah, so that's a good fight. Yeah. So the winner of that, we, at least we'll know who's next anyway after that. Let's talk about. Let, let's put the other three divisions together for a second, right? Okay. Because. Shifting. Other three divisions. Yeah, well, well, the other three champions. Well, not actually the champions. Two, one champion and one ex-champion. Shevchenko and Nunes. What's your take on the two of them? Like, okay, here's here's a very leading question. <laughs> <laughs> Are they finished? Finished? No. 
not quite who they used to be. I'm waiting to see with Valentina Shevchenko and I'm going to get a very up close and personal look with Amanda Nunez in about three weeks time out here. And, and I wouldn't be surprised if Amanda Nunez wins this fight against Irene Aldana and then just dips is like, I'm out. And Juliana Pena could kick rocks. <laughs> and cause like, that's the ultimate, like if you're Amanda and you didn't want to fight this girl for a second time, not because you're scared, not because you're worried. And like, look, credit to Julie for doing a hell of a job on the mic, selling herself, talking her way into fights, doing all the right things. It's not cause she's scared. It's cause she wants to move on to other things and doesn't look at you as a big enough draw and a big enough reason to be busting her ass in the gym all the time. So I think she's going to try to defend this title here in Vancouver and then probably be like, look, Nina's preggers again. We're going to go and have this family. I'm out. Juliana, you can have the belt. I've left it here for you. See ya. I, I think we, a good decision, I, it, would, it would suck if we <laughs> didn't get another fight with Shevchenko, but that got, you know, Alexa Grasso threw a spanner in that. And so we also now have to see with Shevchenko to your question of, are they done? Well, let's see what the rematch is. Cause, cause Val handled it the right way and said, I was winning up until I made a mistake, but I just, I can't shake that Chris Weidman poorly, you know, poorly thought out spinning attack against Luke Rockhold. And it just went sideways from there. Did you maybe just throw the wrong spinning attack? And, and it was actually a sign that you've, the, the pack is now caught up to you a little bit and it may not be the same. That rematch is super. It might be my favorite fight for the second half of the year. Should it come together? It, it's so interesting. And I said the same thing was, I think it was last year with the, the Pena rematch with Nunes just to see what would happen. My take on, on that is right. I'm very much unsure on Shevchenko because she she fought okay in that fight. She definitely showed signs of aging, whatever it might be. And in the finish, it's easy to say after maybe looking back, but I think we were saying it at the time as well. I, I think Nunes is a much easier one to look at unless something massively changes. There's clear signs of degradation there. Like, obviously, the first fight, she was horrendous. But the second fight to me was actually more worrying like anyone could have a terrible night. She could have had, she and she did have COVID just before it, wasn't she? And then she came back. I've had it. You've had it. We know how much it takes out the others. But the fact that she came back in the fight afterwards, and maybe it was nervous. Maybe it was like I lost to this lady before. Could I do it again? So I'm willing to give her the benefit of the doubt again. I'm not really though because I do think like I'm picking Aldana coming into this. That's how. That's how worried I, I, I was. Just going to say June 10th is going to tell us a lot. Yeah. Because Irene Aldana can come in here and crack. She is not going to be not looking. She's not going to look to not engage on the feet with Amanda Nunes. And it might mean that Nunes has to come out and wrestle. We saw that in the second fight with Juliana Pena, that she's committed to that a little more. And maybe that's something that she does here and, and going forward if she continues to compete. But Aldana's not afraid to get in there and just throw bombs with you. And, and sit down on some punches and see what happens. And if Nunez has really, truly slipped and really, truly regressed, this one can be competitive and interesting. And I, I think she there's two things I would add to that as well. I think she's probably taken heart from what Alexa Grasso did. Plus, she has the ability to kind of jab the face off you 
if, uh, you know, if you're anyone but Nunes at her best, probably. And Nunes, we saw that in uh, the first fight, especially that when that just when Pena did nothing else but that, basically, she just fell apart. And if that happens again, she could very much fall apart again because we've seen Nunes in the past, you know, before she became the goat, and she still is the goat, and I, it'll take a lot to knock her off that perch for me. But once she gets behind the eight ball, like many great fighters down through the years, she's doesn't have the ability to rescue it. So we'll see how, how that goes with that. It feels like those divisions, they're all on that at the moment. It feels like like we barely need to even talk about what's coming behind it. Although, look, at, at Bantamweight and at Featherweight, there isn't a whole pile, if we're being honest, right? You have Pena maybe next if Amanda wins and decides to stay around. But at 125, this division... Is phenomenal. No date yet on, on the rematches, or I assume that's going to happen. But, but behind that, you have Manon Firo, you have Tali Santos, who put up a, a good fight, obviously, recently. You have Aaron Blanchfield, your girl, who has done amazing things. There was a rumor there the other day that she's fighting Firo and Blanchfield are fighting. Is, is, that, is that happening, or is that just one of those ones that's thrown out there, I wonder? I have no idea, but I'd certainly watch it. Yeah. I'd certainly be in. You want? I mean, I don't necessarily think... It has to happen because I think each has done enough, but I would understand you now have this rematch in theory coming with Grasso and Shevchenko. And so you don't want either of them to be off too long. I know Menel Firo was targeting a summer return. She had knee surgery after her last win against Caitlin Chukagi and she was targeting summer. And so it would make sense given Blanchfield won in February, probably wants to stay active. Certainly would be a really interesting matchup between very good kickboxer and somebody in Blanchfield who's not afraid to stand and trade, but is terrific when it comes to the grappling side of things. But that division to me is just, it's, it's the comparison to, to bantamweight for me on the men's side, because we have that young pack that is just pushing forward that you see the upside in. And that includes Casey O'Neill, despite coming off a loss that includes Natalia Silva, who looked terrific again last weekend Miranda Maverick, who's fighting out here in a couple of weeks. Like there's a bunch of 20 somethings that in the next three, four, five years will probably make up half of the top 10. It's a, it's really great. It's a, and it's surprising. Cause I remember doing one of these shows, I think it was with Zen Simon a few years ago. And I think I mentioned it a couple of times since it was like, he, he kind of said to me and I was like, this division is growing and give it a few years. And you know what? He was dead yep. fucking right because look where it is now. It's really, really yeah. good. Tracy Cortez. She's Tracy Cortez needs to, to be mentioned in there. Yeah. Four and all um, now, isn't she? Very Macy good. Barber needs to be mentioned in there. Yep. You mentioned Tyler Santos. She's still under 30. Like there's a bunch of young talent in here that if they can, I mean, Jesus, Veronica, Har- Veronica Hardy looked great in London and in her return. If she can put some, something together, she's still only 27. Yeah, I, I'm not sure about that one. I think her opponent. I don't think she's necessarily <laughs> going to put anything together, but she'll be entertaining in in sort yeah. of the back half of the division. Indeed. Let's move on and let's talk about welterweight and let's talk about Ian Gary because I feel like for the last few years I've been holding back a little bit, right? Because we're we're here, we're Irish. Maybe I might be a little bit biased. I interviewed Ian before his pro debut, which I love to remind people. And like we, we, I saw you taking your victory lap there. <laughs> we've been when, on the- <laughs> when he met, when he mentioned you on on Ariel's oh, show, yeah, being like, well, "Here's well, the clip." Yeah, <laughs> it, had to, it had to be done. But it did. It, it certainly, yeah. It, it feels like sometimes, right? We 
are happy enough to look at someone like Rachmanov and go, oh, this guy's a fucking beast. Or happy to look at someone like uh, Shemaev and see this guy's a beast. And, and maybe it's because we just saw Habib and we've just seen um, Makachev and think, look, these guys are from a similar part of the world. They're going to do a, a similar sort of thing. And now when I say similar, take that with a pinch of salt, right? Although Rachmanov is very different to, to, to those lads, I think, as well. But anyway, we leave that to the side. Sometimes we see guys on the way up, whether it's Sean Brady, and okay, he lost to Bilal Muhammad, but forget about that, he's still a great fighter. But people are, like, not as open to doing it, or whether it's Jack Della Maddalena or Ian Gary. And now I feel like Ian Gary has turned that corner a little bit. I feel like what he did to Daniel Rodriguez has actually made people believe, like, this isn't hype anymore. Not. We all know I've never believed that, and we've known a lot of people who've watched Ian Gary for a long time and haven't believed that. And we're maybe sitting back in the long grass waiting for this moment, and we've we found this moment, but now everyone else is ahead of us because they, they have also taken this moment to, to blow Ian Gary up. But this guy has done it the right way. He's come through cage wires with a good team behind him. He obviously moved to another team, another very good team behind him. And you know, he's a lot of madness outside of the cage and a lot of moving in his life and getting married and having a kid and moving country. Very, very tough. But for every second of that, there hasn't been one bit of regression in Ian Gary. It's been all progress, right? Even if there's like maybe not the best performance, he has moved on. He's been, you know, clinical in his performances, got hurt in his last one, came back, looked better than ever. And in this one, destroyed Daniel Rodriguez and now puts everyone on notice and this is what we want you know we talked about everyone else there you know we gave the 3 and 0 4 and 0 5 and 0 people Ian Gary is one of those people as well but now he's moved to whatever he is 5 and 0 6 and 0 in the UFC and he's in rank number 13 right now and by God, is he a massive prospect in the division it's exciting to see someone like that coming through Irish or not it's mad it's great isn't it it is and, and the thing you said about not that not that yourself or any of the lads at, at Severe or even myself ever questioned the talent. For me, it was needing to see a performance like the Daniel Rodriguez fight. You could see the pieces all the way up to it, right? I I really liked the Song Kinan fight because we had to see him rocked. We had to see him come back. That was the best part of that fight to me was that he took the shot and he steeled himself away for the rest of that round, came back on towards the end of the first round of that fight, and then dominated from there out. I needed to see him go out there and have the performance that he had against Daniel Rodriguez. It is now, of course, fun and interesting that all kinds of other people have jumped on board and like taken the front of the bus and are like pushing really hard to get this. Like all of a sudden now it's he's the next. He's always been great. He's 25 years old. Like, he is, he is delivering on all the stuff that he said he would be, that you guys at Severe said he would be from the get-go. He's done it the right way. He's in a position now where he's calling for a fight with Neil Magny. He's sort of laying out his blueprint. And even that looks like it's the right way. And so it's great to see a young man that knows what he wants to do but also has the blueprint for it and has thought it through. You understand that he's fought it all through. And then on top of it, the skill set just continues to progress and grow and the confidence continues to rise. And it just feels like, great. It may not be all rise from here on out. There's probably going to be 
a setback at some point. I don't think this is a undefeated march to the title because there's just so many good fighters in front of him still. But it's going to be a really interesting next five years for Ian Gary. And it's going to be five years in the top 15, if not five years in the top 10. And that's exciting. And that's all you can ask for at this point. Everything beyond whatever he gets to is great. And it's, let's see how the story is written. But it's been it's been perfect thus far in terms of results and in terms of just execution. And I, I'm all the way in on, on seeing where it goes from here. I was watching... Uh, a YouTube video last night, right? And I was watching, and this is uh, go with me here for a second. But it was uh, it was strongmen, right? And they were doing deadlifts, and uh, they're basically trying to br- break Eddie Hall's record, which is uh, f- uh, five hundred kg uh, deadlift in competition, right? And um, so I th- I believe a, a thousand or a, what is it? Oh, I'm, I'll probably get this wrong now, but uh, a thousand pounds or whatever it might be has been done seven times in history, right? Seven times ever been lifted off the ground. And in an attempt to break Eddie's record, which wasn't broken, but in an attempt to break it, six people lifted over a thousand pounds in that one night, right? So since the, the beginning of time, only seven have done it and six people did it in that one night. I feel like the welterweight division is that right now. Like, I really do. I Like, I think if you look at it, right, and you see how good Leon is right now, uh, Kamaru's still around there, Balal has been brilliant, but then the, the three names, Rachmanov, Shemaev, if he comes back, and Ian Gary as well, along with, you know, you could throw in Jack Delamadalina and, and a few more as well. The level of people there is just killer after killer after killer after killer. And we're going to have a few of them losing over the next while, and they're only going to lose because they're fighting other killers. But that level is absolutely frightening. And it's hard to look at that division and not say, on paper, it's going to be the best division in like 18 months if those lads keep, keep getting better. It's, I just think it's frightening how good that division is. It's insane. Those lads are unbelievable. And like, I think, like, say, like a guy like Magni is going to struggle to hold on to his place in that division with the lads coming up. Like, Michael Chiesa is going to really struggle to hold on to his place in that division. Like, if you're Ian Gary, you're Jack Dylan Maddalena, you're licking your lips looking at Michael Chiesa there thinking, that 12th place, that's mine, you know? Let, let's let's get it on let's you know put on them gloves there and let's have you I'm surprised that Ian Gary didn't call out Michael Kiesa you know but it's ooh, it, it's exciting times isn't it it is and it's it's really cool to be here after sort of last year I would say last fall Sean Brady was the one guy well not even just the one guy we had Shavkat Rachmanov that we all knew was really talented but hadn't gotten into that fighting top 15 guys yet. And we had Sean Brady as the undefeated on the rise. This is the guy to watch for. And Bilal went out and did what he did. He's now gotten to where he's gotten. But in that time since, Della got two more wins. And Ian Gary got two more wins. And we've still then got behind them. I mean, Sean Brady is fighting Jack Della Maddalena. So that that could delay Sean oh, Brady's return, oh. return up at some point. That's going to be really interesting. Give me that one into my I, veins. I love that. I mean, if I'm Sean Brady, I'm grappling from, from second one and being like, look, I haven't really shown this because I've been okay and willing to stand with guys, but I got pieced up by Bilal. I'm going to come out here and, and grapple a little bit. But like, you've got guys behind them, like a Michael Morales, 
who can then be afforded a whole bunch of time to grow and come along slowly because we don't need to have this thing like we have in some divisions where it's let's hustle them in because there's no one in front of him and we need young fighters. Like you can, you can afford to build people, which is the best thing possible. Right. And then you still have kind of that inter entertaining middle class that is always going to be a bunch of good tests. Like we just had Joaquin Buckley come into the, into the division. That's always going to be a good test. You've got guys like Matthew Semmelsberger and chaos Williams and sort of that group of people, Michelle Pahea still on a really good run was going to be fighting your guy. Wonder boy. I think he still is, but like he gets a win there. He's in the mix. He's still under 30, even though he feels like he's been around since Christ was a cowboy. Like it's, it's exciting times again at welterweight after it felt very recently like it was stale, right? Cause we were at that point of two Colby's, two Masvidal's and a Gilbert Burns in between. And the patches in felt, the tree. <laughs> and it felt really like, man, this, this is where, and we even had another two set, right? We had another two pack with, with Edwards, but now all of a sudden it feels wide open and brand new and fresh and super interesting. And I can't wait. Let's start at the opposite end in middleweight and, you know, my favorite division, of, as I've said for a long time. But here I'm going to start positively in middleweight this time, right? There are four guys in middleweight, right? Sorry, five, six guys in middleweight, one and all right now. Let me name three of them for you. Bo Nickel, Christian Leroy Duncan, uh, Ikram Ali Askarov. That is unbelievable that the three of them are one and oh in the UFC right now. <laughs> one of them is is fighting a top what top five ranked guy in in the at the moment. One of them, Cage Warrior Champion, who I think is the next big thing in the division. And one of them is American. And the other, dream. One, and the other one is Bo Nickel. Hulk Hogan mixed with John Cena, mixed with fucking Randy Couture. You know, the next biggest guy in the history of sports, Bo Nickel. It's, do you know what? I feel like, <laughs> I feel like it's exciting times for middleweight division a little bit. It is. It? So I'm going to take a little victory lap here. Cause after Ikram Aliskarov went out and hit Phil Haas with a, with a one, two that just sent him to the shadow realm. I jumped on the takeaways the next day and was like, just book this guy against someone important. Just let's find out right. Goddamn now. Cause it's middleweight. There's no need to be dragging this out where he goes through and he fights the Gerald Mearsharts and he fights a Julian Marquez and he fights Gregory Rodriguez and he's four and oh, and we still have no goddamn idea because he's beat a guy, bunch of guys that have never been anything at middleweight and the UFC went out and did it. And I'm so excited because this is the thing to do. I understand people being mad about Abus Magomedov getting a main event shot off one win, but you know what? He's 33 or 34. Like, let's just not waste time. If he can beat Sean Strickland, then we know where he fits. And if he can't, we can just be done with him. This is the division where you just, you don't need to piss around. Now with someone like Christian Leroy Duncan, give him time, let him come along. I know he had a wealth of amateur fights and he's, he's far more experienced than his eight and record suggests but you don't have to necessarily throw him in there with Apollo Costa next time out. But I certainly wouldn't be upset about seeing him in there with a, you know, winner of Chris Curtis, Nasruddin Imovov. 
Give him, Ooh. give him, give him a step up. Give him mm. a. I think he had a fight announced. Yeah, he's got Armin Petrosian this summer, and so that's a good test, right? That's a good. That's a guy that's I think three and one in the UFC. Came off contender series, has been okay so far. Another kickboxer, so it's a stylistic matchup that that makes sense, and we'll see. But we've we've finally got some interesting names at middleweight, Shawnee. We do, and you know what I like as well, and I hundred percent agree with you on uh, Ali Askarov. And we we the last time we did this, we talked about Bo Nickel, and there was two options, right? You either slow roll him, or you send him to the moon, right? And they're doing with that with Ali Askarov, but he is, you know, he has been around for a lot longer in MMA. Yeah, I, I've. Oh, you have no problem with them doing that. Because what's the worst that happens? He right. loses to Paulo Costa. He can go back, wins two or three fights, and, you know, he's back in it. No problem. He's not a guy who you've been building up like Aaron Allen, and he loses the fight, and it's you're, you're fucked. So I've, I've absolutely no problem with them doing that every so often with the right guy. And obviously, we'll be talking a lot about Bonicle as, as the years go on here. He is uh, Trish Angore. He's fighting, isn't he? I think that's a good step up as well. And by no means, by no means, like... The bottom of the division either a guy who no. you know has been a good fighter for a while is adesanya versus duplessis happening is that what they're going to do do you think <laughs> i mean it'll be interesting right so so duplessis is supposed to fight rob uh in a couple months time at ufc 290 i mean it's it's the the middleweight version of the the max holloway problem of just constantly running guys through i would have gone straight to duplessis i would have just skipped the rob step and it sucks for Rob that the fight with Paulo Costa fell through in February. And so he's still sitting here like, what do I do? But he's stuck. Rob's stuck. He's in that Joseph Benavidez position from several years ago when you're 0-2 against the champ. And you, I mean, he should, if, if it's me and I'm the guy in his corner and the guy in his ear, I'm telling him to take every fight with guys at 15, 14, 13, like, Whoever wants to come up, let's just come up. And the UFC needs to, to move forward with some guys rather than constantly doing the like, and can they get through Rob Whitaker? Because most of them can't. So far, nobody has. And it's lessened the interest in some of these other championship fights. It's why I like the idea of doing Costa and Aliskarov. But if if I'm the UFC, I'd have just done Izzy in, in Duplessis, but... I know there's also some some talk that maybe maybe Izzy goes up. And maybe that's what Izzy's really? next fight is again. For against Jamal? I've been hearing some Ooh. some people mention it uh, mention it online as maybe a possibility. Because we don't know still when, when Yuri Prohoshka is coming back. We haven't had any movement or announcement of of anybody coming up to face Jamal Hill yet. And we've gotten through to August. August fight announcements and they're going back to Australia in, in the fall. Could you maybe do a more, a more favorable stylistic matchup yeah. for Adesanya up at light heavyweight, just in terms of like Jamal Hill's not coming out and wrestling him for probably not. No, he, yeah. Might be interesting. Why didn't they make the trilogy? Like it, I've never, there's never been a fight that's made more fucking sense in that trilogy. I, I thought it was the stupidest. I could not believe it. Like, I, I literally thought we'd be going to the, the press conference and saying, right, we're going to do it on this day. You know, we're going back to Australia. Right, we're going to Australia in, in November, and this is what we're doing. Yeah. 
I've no, I've no idea. Like, I'm, I, I don't know. I, feel, I sometimes I feel like I'm on a board on my own on that one. But like, they they fought twice. Okay, we forget about the kickboxing bullshit. They fought twice. They both knocked each other out. They were both right. good fights. Why well, both of them were kind of come back? So it wasn't like either of them was dominating and destroying them. It, like it, it's just a no brainer, and they're not. I'd doing be it. interested to know if there's. There's stuff that we are not hearing and stuff that we don't know in terms of Pahea's weight cut or or are they looking I mean, if we want to go tinfoil hats and get get into the Sean and Spencer conspiracy hour, maybe Alex Pahea is the guy that goes up to light heavyweight and see if he can't get a belt at light heavyweight and do a, a trilogy fight at light heavyweight. Mm, that's a you're getting into the, the Marav fucking uh, uh Sterling type of thing, then oh, yeah. sure, I'll go to the belt of, uh, that's I'll go the, I mean the best maybe, laying plans of my man. <laughs> but we yeah. gotta get everybody booked. This is the problem, right? This Indeed. is what we get back to is we just we need to get people booked. We need to get these fights set and get moving get moving forward and get it figured out. And I mean if if Duplessis and Whitaker happens as scheduled and and look, I'm I'm not saying that it's not going to as far as I understand, that is still happening in July, early July at UFC 290 in Las Vegas. Can the winner turn around and fight Izzy in, in early September? That feels that feels awful quick because I don't think either guy's coming out of that one unscathed. There's one guy that we're leaving out of this, isn't there? I mean, there is. Mm-hmm. There certainly is. Where is and he? He's been, left, he's been left out of everything for a while because yes. we haven't seen him or heard from him or heard tell of him, but He's certainly a, a question mark in this division. That's for like, sure. And obviously we're talking about Hamza Shumayev here. <laughs> People can't, can't decide for yeah. that. But like, like, what are these two idiots going on about? Just name him. Hamza uh, Shumayev. That, is, are they gonna that just, is the gentleman's name. Are they going to just stick him in and give him the title shot? Like, I don't know. Would that make the most sense? Like, you need a title shot. You need someone to fight. And do you know who you're? Here's what's going to happen. Whitaker and Duplessis are going to fight. They're going to beat seven shades of shit out of each other. <laughs> they won't be able to turn around quick enough. They'll say, oh, look, you get the title shot. You can't turn around quick enough. Shamaya's ready. He's getting into the title shot. Perfect. You know, that. I feel like that's what's going to fucking happen here. Tim, I mean, Tim I, I, again. I certainly won't count that out from happening. I think the, I would assume, I would bet that the target is October. For Chimaev, get him back in the octagon, get him a fight, get him a win. Not necessarily get him a win, but like just get him out there and see if he can get a win. I think it's got to be middleweight. It makes way more sense to be middleweight. Like he's just a giant human being and there's no one in front of him. Like he can go out and beat. Let's see. Who's who's there at middleweight? That Jared Cannonier. Uh, I mean, Gastelum yeah, like just Victorian Cannonier are set to fight. You can get the mm-hmm. winner of that back in there. In, I mean, truthfully, I I don't even think it would need to be anybody all that all that special, right? If he went out and beat the holy hell out of Jack Hermanson, you could then give him a title shot off that because of who he is and the aura about him. But I do think he needs kind of one more in this division because he's had one and three quarters fights at middleweight, like. One officially against Gerald Mearshart a couple of years ago, one on a, I just turned up real heavy and now I'm facing Kevin Holland last year. But I mean, if it's, if it's October, that means he's been out 13 months again. Like I'm, 
I'm at that point. It was one of the things I said on Monday about part of the reason the UFC this year so far has felt a little lacking is that a bunch of these big names, a bunch of these people that we crave to see just haven't been in the octagon, whether it's through injuries or through contracts or wrong matchups, or they fought late last year and just aren't going to turn around and fight every four months. We just haven't seen it. And so I'm kind of out on Chimaev right now. I'll be back in when I see him go out there and ragdoll somebody again, but I need to see it. Yeah. And if it's right back into a title shot, that'll feel a little bit janky to me. I just thought for a long while that him versus Robert Whitaker was the fight to make. Like, make him versus Whitaker. Give Dubussy the percent. But didn't he say, like, didn't he say early on when somebody, like, offered that one, he was like, no, I have too much respect for him, which yeah, is like... Go fuck yourself with that. Which, <laughs> which is code off. for Rob will beat the face off of me, maybe. Uh, I, don't, I, don't I don't want that tough test. <laughs> Era, it's an interesting one. It's a, well, we'll look. I suppose we'll uh, we'll see what happens. We kind of touched on light heavyweight already, and myself and Graham because of uh, Jesus, what fight was it? Uh, Johnny Walker fight a couple of weeks ago. We were talking about light heavyweight, and it like it feels like a light heavyweight, right? Number one, Prachka injured long term. Number two and three, Blahovich and Goliath just had a draw and it feels like they've been wiped from the face of the earth because they had a draw. <laughs> right. Rakic, haven't heard anything from them. Rakic long-term injury. Nikita Krylov is five. So we can just end the conversation there. Like there's nobody <laughs> like there's hey, nobody like Ireland's own Johnny Walker. Johnny Walker is is like, but he's like also number five. Yeah, that's funny. Uh, but he, it's like, it feels like Johnny Walker is like, obviously kind of the most obvious one at the moment. Now, Pereira is after coming up, as you mentioned, he's fighting Blahovich, if I'm not mistaken. You know, maybe the winner of that is is the next obvious one. I don't know what they're going to do with Ankalaev. Where's Rakic when he comes back? You know, you, what you said there about bringing Izzy up to fight Jamahal. Honestly, it's probably a bit kind of good timing right now. Where I like not so much a middleweight, but at light heavyweight, it might be. If that wasn't to happen, let's put it that way, because we just spoke about that. If that wasn't to happen, where do you think they will go with it? haven't any ideas i think your boy johnny walker kind of made the right did the i mean first and foremost got the victory that he needed to get to continue going forward congratulations to you on your flyer of the week johnny walker by decision i certainly pay attention to these things you're on a bit of a heater everybody follow the sheehan show on sherdog.com i think he did the right thing by going over to jamal hill and creating a moment that he had to be asked about in the octagon right sets himself up perfectly and then says the right things i think johnny walker like I wasn't in on Johnny Walker at the outset when everybody was going crazy about, is he the guy to dethrone John Jones? But I think I'm more in on Johnny Walker now than some people are because I think he's just matured. Like, I think he's just figured out how to play this game a little bit. Said all the right things after that fight. He's fighting a little bit more conservatively, a little bit more patiently, playing to his strengths. Seems to have a really good thing going in in Dublin with SPG, with John Kavanaugh. He might be the guy. I know they fought before and it certainly didn't go well, but he's the only one that's been active of that that top five. I don't think you can hustle Ankalaev in there without having him compete again after the draw with, with Jan Blahovic. Same thing for Jan. Alexander Rakic, as you said, coming off an injury. We don't know when year he's back. If it's somebody within the division, it might be Johnny Walker. He might get his chance now. And if it's someone outside, then then yeah, I think it's it's the time again to see if Izzy wants to go up again. 
it's yeah it'll be an interesting one like uh, maybe Johnny will have to do one more and if he can do one more I think there's no doubt about it I think he probably will get it uh, you know it could be an ankle live maybe who it is it's funny looking at looking at the division there's some good fighters on the way up there's only three people in the whole division who are undefeated three right can you name go on can you, I'll give you a chance can you name them so Prohashka is one of them yeah Prohashka we've two more one is one uh, and all, and one is three and all. Oh, Jesus. Right, we, we uh, go, I'm going to pull up the rankings here. Okay, one of them is uh, just beat okay, Dustin so, Jacoby. So Azamat Mirzakhanov is one yes, of them. He's, he he's ranked. He got a win over Dustin Jacoby very recently. And the other is, you said one and oh, so it's somebody that came off the contender series and isn't particularly good would be my guess. Uh, Victor Petrino. Never there you heard go. Of him that. Came off the contender series. Isn't particularly very good. There you go. Has a fight coming up, I'm sure. But again, he has. he's fighting. Not, uh, not yet particularly Pacino. good. Yeah. So like, there are like there are some guys who are like not bad. Like Carlos Olberg has looked good recently. Yep. Uh, tough one. Uh, I don't know who am I thinking of. Uh, of Kennedy and uh, Kennedy. I always get the two of them mixed up. Always. He's a good fighter. Uh, you know, Kennedy six and three now, but he's on a good run. Like Reyes coming back, and nigga Mariano four and there isn't a pile there, is there really? No, it's gonna be so. There's a couple guys that I'm interested in. We get one of the fights are gonna be out here. Khalil Roundtree Jr. and Chris Doc is moving down. If Khalil can keep putting victories together, he's always been interesting to me. I don't necessarily think it's championship interesting, but at least interesting in that sort of middle third of the rankings. But I mean, the the biggest thing is that we just like, and, and this isn't meant as a like, Hey, hurry up and get back because you're needed. But we need Yuri Prahashka back and we need uncle. I fighting and we need Alexander Rakic healthy and competing. And then the rest of it is we got to keep seeing because it feels like, and I'm guilty of it as much as anybody. I sort of feel like I've I've dismissed Nikita Krylov and just written him off because he's been around for probably 10 years now that he's been in the UFC. I'm just going to scroll along here and see when his debut is. Yeah, his UFC debut was August 31st, 2013 against Soa Palele at heavyweight. Heavyweight, wasn't it? Yeah. So he's been around and on the radar for a decade, but he's still only 31. And he's, you know putting together some victories. He's on a three-fight winning streak. And so maybe he's a guy that gets in there with a, an Uncle Ayev or a Blahowitz or even Johnny Walker again because I think they've already fought before. And maybe that's that's what you do. And maybe he becomes sort of the, the late bloomer, late stage putting it together. And we just got to do one of those fights that it's like, really, this is the title fight? Well, yeah, because there's not really a lot of other options. Eat, pray, Krilov, that's what we need to do. <laughs> Heavyweight. You, I, I was thinking earlier on when you were saying, you know, a lot of the big names, we really haven't seen much of them in the last year or so. And the first one that came to mind is John Jones, because we saw a bit of him, but like 90 seconds or whatever it was of him, and then he was gone again. And like, there were so many unanswered questions. I think a lot of people like, uh, because look, the, we won't get into the Francis thing here, that's for all the other shows and everyone, we, us and everyone else is talking about it. But it felt like, Oh, John Jones came back. Oh, he's the best heavyweight in the world, right? And for me, I'm like, 
Is he? <laughs> like, is, is he? If we saw him fight for like a minute. He destroyed a guy who can't wrestle, who I think is very good, who I was calling the best heavyweight in the world. So it'd be fucking ridiculous of me to come on here saying that. <laughs> but still, we didn't see much of him. And I really fucking want to see more of John Jones. <sighs> what? If I, he looks like he's going to fight Stipe, doesn't it? How many questions is that going to answer in as well? Then he's talking about retiring. I don't believe that for a second. But Oh, I do. Yeah? I do. Oh, God. I think, there's, I think there's a little bit of, let me get out unscathed. Let me get out before anybody beats me. Let me get out before I got to start facing some of these upcoming monsters, right? Let me get out before Sergey Pavlovich wants to put his paws on me. Let me get out before Jelton Almeida My wants guy. to come out here. My wants God. to come out here and wrestle with me. A guy that can wrestle with, I mean, in theory on paper, can wrestle with me. Let me go out and beat Stipe, who is the, by by default, greatest heavyweight in UFC history. He which, is, though. I mean, but it's by default, right? Like, it's Why? three title defenses. Like, nobody no, is, no, but the I belt think is the best, a hot though. potato. Like, I just think it's it's less, that's one of those honorary honorariums that feels less to me than like the greatest middleweight of all time where the guy defended the belt 11 times Stipe did it three times that's great he got some very good wins but it's not quite the same that's my that's my stance that's fair also I think I think he just looks to get that one and goes okay well I beat the best yeah that means I'm the best see you later guys never been beat I'm taking off it is a bit of a John Jones thing but also like John Jones is a guy who probably believes he can beat all these other lads easily, and he probably can. Like, <laughs> like let's be honest, he maybe, probably maybe, can. but it just seems to me like he's not as. It seems to me interesting. Like he's not as interested. Mm-hmm. Like if he, and and don't get me wrong, I certainly understand it. Like I understand motivations, drives, desires, all of those things changing as you get older as life changes and life has certainly changed and then changed back for John Jones with his, his family situation. But like, he's a 35 year old man now. He'll be 36 in the summer. And so get one more win, beat the guy that's the best heavyweight in UFC history, call it a day. See you later. I, does he maybe not want to get up for facing yet another generation of fighters yet another wave? It doesn't seem to me. Cause if he did, I would have thought that he would be back and around this whole time. Now, of course, there's contracts and money and things of that nature that have been part of the conversation. But it also seems like John has those cycles where he's at odds. And then all of a sudden, he's the guy that's like, oh, you chickened out. You left. You ran. What is it, John? What do you what do you want to do? I think John Jones wants to fight on Twitter more than he wants to fight in an octagon. That's the most John Jones thing you've ever said there. Like, <laughs> one day he thinks this, and the other day he thinks that. Yeah. Like, I, I, and I truly believe this, right? That John Jones only came back and fought because he had that falling out with Jacksons, right? And then he kind of, he got back with him. So I'm like, I just think, like, he was like, oh, he? well, yeah, he, he had... um he had uh, Greg Jackson in his uh, in his corner for the last fight and all, so he kind of got back with him. I don't know. Uh, someone, I think Mark Romandi did a story about it at the time, but he, yeah, he, he had him in his corner. Well, I mean, there's but, the the thing that always gets lost is that there's there's two different Jackson gyms. There is, yeah, in Albuquerque. There's the Jackson mm-hmm. Wink Academy, and then there's the old gym, which is on Acoma Street, and is is Jackson's Acoma, and there's still a bunch of guys that train there, and I think that's where John 
did his camp and obviously he's still with six gun and stuff like that so yeah that's it but uh, i feel like he just wanted to prove something that he could kind of do without winkle john and now he's kind of done that a lot is he to prove now but also a big you know and i mentioned the the, the elephant in the room fonsies that big money fight is gone Right, and there's no one else. There's no one else coming. There's no one else there. You know, there's no one at light heavyweight unless Adesanya goes and wins the belt, and maybe then there's a big money fight. You know, so we'll we'll wait and see on that one. But I w- I wonder, like the the contract situation. It feels like that didn't change. It feels like he just decided, all right, well, I've been out long enough. I'm going to fight. Right. And if he, right. it had changed, and he, let's say he was getting ten million for each fight, well, maybe he would fight fucking whoever's Taitu Avasa next or whoever <laughs> right. it might be. You know, so yeah, I'm kind of talking myself out of what I just said a few minutes ago. Yeah, we'll, I think we'll, I we'll think he's working on a couple legacy wins, and then we take off and oh. and give himself the opportunity to just stand there and be like, argue against my record. To be fair, though, there are a few good guys coming at absolutely at, at everywhere now. A lot of them, I wonder how many of them are thinking, well, I have two fights left in my contract here. Let's fight these out and go get the two million <laughs> over PFL. Now, if I was one of them, that's surely how I would be thinking. But look. Certainly an interesting wrinkle that's been thrown out there for the UFC <laughs> to is. deal with. And as I think, I, I think it was Ian recently said on a podcast or one of the, I, maybe I'm not sure who it was, but like it actually, for the first time in a while, People in in the heavyweight division in contract negotiations now actually have a bit to negotiate by. Like an Aspinall is one I'll take. Let's say he has two fights left, wins the two fights, and they offer him, you know, his, you know, fifty and fifty or whatever it might be. Well, he'd say, "Well, I'm getting two million out there. I want five hundred grand per fight, every fight for the next five fights, and if I'm in a main event or whatever, I." And like the UFC. I'm sure would not want to lose a guy who's seven or eight, no one number one contender to go there. So it's actually like Francis has actually kind of made it a good position to be now for a top ranked UFC everywhere, which is an odd position. But he's he's done what he set out to do. He's just done it in a weird way, <laughs> in a very backward way. And even and has he? I'm not sure. That's uh, I think this whole situation. Yeah, I mean the like, other part of is this it? is that he's not fighting until next year, and so. Are our guys going to take off from the UFC to go into PFL to try to put themselves in a position? I think it'll be more towards the like guys whose contracts come up, let's say in January of next year or February of next year that then go, all right, well, I'll go over here. And in the summer, I'll take that guy unless you want to give me closer to what they're going to give me now. I, I think you and I both know how mu- most of those negotiations with the UFC are going to go. Hey, I would like this. Great. Have a good time. Thanks for the cheese. See you later. Don't <laughs> let the door hit you. Yeah. But it's, it's a position because as you said, if it's a Tom Aspinall, if it's, I mean, I don't know what Sergey Pavlovich's contract situation is right now. Imagine that dude's at the end of his contract or has one fight left. Unbeaten yeah. in his last six fights, all finishes, standing there as the number one contender and he can go, all right, guys, what are we, what are we going to do? You had me as the backup for the title fight earlier in the year. So you clearly think something of me. It's going to be interesting. It is. It is. And you know, it's a good time for the heavyweight division because we have two names, three names, maybe like Pavlovich, Aspinall and uh, Charlton Almeida. Like there's three really good young enough 
Actually, what age is Pavlovich? I'm not sure, but he's relatively young anyway. Prospects yep. there. It's great. It's it's absolutely great. And look, the rest is, isn't great, but we leave it at that. Well, let's finish it on the one division we haven't talked about, and that's the money division, and that's Conor McGregor. And um, it looks like he's finally on his way back. Could be fighting in December, maybe. Who knows? You saw the... USADA, don't get me started on USADA again, because this fucking USADA, uh, you, you don't hear from USADA for two years, and next thing Conor McGregor says w- one syllable, and like, oh, press release, there we go, let's, let's talk about Conor McGregor, but it feels like they're getting on the same page, he's going to come back, uh, We, you talked about it a second ago, about not seeing the big stars, how, like, it's going to be, we talk about the state of the UFC, for the state of the UFC, it's going to be a good thing to have Conor McGregor back. And he have Conor McGregor to talk about and, like, the takes. Oh, no way could he win. Chandler's going to beat him. And then, you know, I think a lot of people watching that documentary are like, well, what if? What if he, like, he looked really good coming up to that middle of Poria fight. It's like, well, you know, that one went badly for him. And, okay, well, he broke his leg in the second one. But what if? You know, he's been out for a good while now. Maybe he's fit again. And what? we love all of that. And that's speculation and talk and all of that, but that's good for the state of the UFC, isn't it? And it's big to have Conor McGregor go back. I mean, the timing of all of this is just perfect, right? The documentary comes out. Congratulations to you guys for your involvement in it and putting it together. Ultimate Fighter's coming around. That's going to be... Like, I know people don't necessarily watch The Ultimate Fighter the same way. They will with Conor, though, I think. They will with Conor, though, Mm -hmm. because Conor is going to do most certainly Connor things and they will watch it just, I mean, the last time he was a coach, he kind of was in and out and not really coaching all that much, but he'd turn up every once in a while in a sharp suit and say something about TJ Dillashaw being a snake in the grass and watch out for that guy. And it becomes news and prophetic. Terry so, sense. <laughs> <laughs> sure as shit. People are going to watch it just to see what he says. And, and Mike Chandler is a perfect counterpoint to him. He's a perfect foil for Connor because there's not going to be any part of it where Chandler doesn't want to fire back at him and then laugh at him and have some, have some go with him, which is great. And then we find out what happens in terms of a fight. November in New York sounds great to me. It's going to be close on the six month window. Can we fudge a couple of weeks here and there, depending on when they want to do the November card, December in Las Vegas certainly would work to close out the year, close out the final pay-per-view of 2023. It's always, I mean, it's always good. We say it all the time. It's always, business is always better when Conor McGregor is around. He just drives interest still, which is amazing, which speaks to, I just put up a thing a couple of days ago. It was the 10 year anniversary of my wife, my brother-in-law, my sister-in-law, us taking our trip to Ireland. And on the second day that we were in Dublin, the first full day that we were in Dublin, I went to the old SBG out in the out in the warehouses to speak with Cahal Pendred, to speak with John Kavanaugh, and to speak with this guy named Conor McGregor that was a month removed from his first UFC win. Ten years later, he is still the most important fighter in the UFC. He is still, I mean, not even still, he has become the center of the universe for this sport and one of the biggest global stars. It's certainly good for the UFC to have him back in the fold. Yeah, we have uh, we have a king now in 2023, and hopefully he'll be fighting in 2023 at the end of the year. So we'll uh, we look forward to uh, to seeing that. Uh, Spencer, again, it's been another long one, an hour and forty minutes. But sure, look, that's that's how we do it, and that's how we get down. And uh, it was uh, it was a good one. There's 
there's a lot of madness. There's a lot of scattergun stuff going on at the moment. But geez, there's a lot of good shit going on as well in the UFC and a lot of great fighters. There could be more great fighters if they decided to sell it. Buy Bellator, like buy all their fighters. Get even more great fighters in there. Why are the UFC not buying Bellator? Is a big question I want to ask as well. They have I mean, enough money. They could get all certainly. those fighters. Take away. It's probably the court case, really, isn't it? Like they probably don't want to. Like they'd be very monopolistic looking if they did buy Bellator. <laughs> I suppose. Uh, maybe. Maybe that. Maybe Cer- the question, certainly uh, could be part of it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah probably. Certainly uh, look like more of a mon- monopoly <laughs> when you bring in the number two. <laughs> Uh, Premier League just buy La Liga and just, oh yeah. <laughs> yeah that's not great but um, yeah we will uh, we will leave it there before we go shout out to our friends over at Manscaped use a promo code SEVEREMAP 20% off and free shipping at manscaped.com check out Calera Lab too use the promo code SEVEREMAP CaleraLab.com for 20% off Spencer what's your uh, what's your promo code over at, uh, at OneBone if the people over in Canada or the US want to use it and get some uh, get some money off there tell us tell us what is it promo code over at OneBone OneBoneBrand.com ESK20 at checkout for 20% off Shawnee got a shirt the other oh, day and he me. adores it after being all ah oh, no it doesn't nah. matter I don't need one it's not gonna fit put it on <laughs> and he sent me a voice message and was like you know what it's perfect this is great but so when, when, shout out to the folks at OneBone <laughs> ESK20, my initials, ESK, the number 20. Get yourself some Wombo gear. Come and be a part of the community. The be, best in the business. When people are listening to this, we're recording this a couple of days, I'll be in, my, my, in the middle of my birthday, I'll be wearing my one bone t-shirt, having a barbecue, getting absolutely fucking lit. So if you see any uh, any tweets uh, jumping around there, you'll know, uh, you'll know where they came from. But um, we will leave it there. Follow Spencer over on uh, at Spencer Kite on uh, on Twitter and all those good places. Check out the keyboard, Kimura. Check out his Twitter, and you'll find all the stuff there. Follow Severe May as well. SevereMay.com on uh, Instagram is a great place to get a lot of stuff. Shout out to our guy Sam Park doing a load of the um, uh, doing a load of the graphics for us now. They're absolutely unbelievable so everyone should be following over on instagram and patreon.com forward slash severe met podcast as well for all the good stuff all right everyone we will leave it there until next week we'll see you then good luck